Hey everyone, welcome to Vidhi, a podcast that hopes to take you on a step-by-step journey in unwinding life international law issues, all while making it relatable to Indian law. This is Tahira Somal and I'm back with a new episode in continuation of our series on the International Mediation Convention. Today, we are honored to have Professor Suvrajyoti Gupta as our expert panel to discuss the Singapore Convention. Professor Gupta is the Assistant Director for the Center for Alternative Dispute Resolution at OP Jindal Global University. His research is in the area of commercial law, arbitration, international trade law, constitutional law, and legal regulation of emerging technologies. Professor Gupta also takes an elective on conflict of laws, also known as private international law. Thank you so much, Professor, for joining us today. First, if you could comment on the overall effect of the Convention on Mediation internationally, how will this change the mediation landscape? So, thank you, Tahira, for having me in your session. The Singapore Convention, um, like in one word, I would see Singapore Convention as a kind of uh, New York Convention for Mediation uh, and uh, Consensual ADR. Okay. So, in fact, uh, it would have essentially the same effect that the New York Convention had on international arbitration. And it is meant to have the same effect. However, uh, for uh, us to get the best out of it, we would uh, also need to have supportive regulations and enabling uh, legislation. Only then we would get the best effect out of it. And uh, of course, uh, the best part of mediation, I believe, is that uh, it has a substantially less transaction cost because even arbitration is an adjudicatory process, right? So when you have an adjudicatory process, what does adjudication means? You mean that there is a list, there's a dispute, and somebody has to sit there and decide upon the rights of the parties, right? So it's a confrontational adversarial process that has its own costs own cost in terms of money cost, but also in terms of lost relationship and opportunities. In commercial world, you are not trying to prove a point. What you are trying to do is to protect your interest. To protect your interest, the best course of action is basically to have a more amicable dispute settlement procedure. So the mediation, as it has been understood in the Singapore Convention, I mean, it can mean different kinds of things, different kinds of process, but uh, at the heart of it, they are all amicable process, which is basically, uh, it will involve a kind of facilitated negotiation involving a third party neutral. Okay. And uh, it would have enormously, uh, like along with the Hague Choice of Court Convention, the New York Convention and your, uh, and the Singapore Convention, they are going to have in, extremely uh, large multiplier effect on international trade and commerce. Thank you so much, Professor. I would like to ask the next question. So since India is yet to ratify the convention, what is the procedure for enforcing international mediation settlement agreements currently in India? Okay, to begin with, let me point out something to you. Though India has not actually ratified it, Ratification would essentially mean that the parliament approves this and they have an enabling legislation. India has still signed it. I believe it signed it sometimes in 2020. 
So under international law, uh, Article 18 of the Vienna Convention of Law of Treaties, I believe, that when you sign a convention and not ratify it, that is the intermediate between signature and ratification, you still um, have the obligation not to do anything contrary to the spirit of the convention. I mean, uh, a concept, uh, complex legal concept, uh, succinctly put, that's the idea, right? So even though it is not part of Indian law, so the Indian courts should read Indian law, I mean, existing Indian law in a way, so as to further the goals of this convention, that is one. Now, what is the mode of enforcement of an international mediation settlement in India? Well, the first um, and the best option, which I would suggest my client, if the parties are both on the same page, then you have your mediation agreement, you come to India, you file a civil suit and you get a consent decree. The consent decree, uh, the good thing about consent decree is that you cannot appeal it. So that's the end of the matter. Right. The second option is if one of the parties are actually going back on the settlement agreement. Right. Since we don't have any enabling law as such, um, you the other side would still have the option of filing a declaratory suit. So this is the same thing uh, that happens when you're trying to enforce an arbitration agreement, uh, arbitration award from a country which is not part of either uh, Geneva or New York Convention. Right. So you have to file the declaratory suit. And that uh, decree from the declaratory suit becomes enforceable. So even if we don't have a uh, directly have an enabling law, there are uh, court decisions that says a settlement agreement, especially in things like family or uh, close contractual relationship, has to be given a very high degree of uh, importance, and the court should ordinarily enforce it. Right. So there's a, basically a presumption towards the enforcement. The third option is, of course, you go for a hybrid process like ARPMED. So once, uh, I mean, in a proper ARPMED, you have mediation followed by a proper arbitration. But you also can structure the process in a way that uh, after the you have actually reached the settlement agreement, the arbitrator just uh, sort of makes it an arbitration agreement. The benefit of that is that an arbitration agreement is enforceable in India under the provisions of the Arbitration and Conciliation Act. So an international agreement arising from another uh, New York Convention country will be enforceable in India according to the uh, say part two of uh, Arbitration and Conciliation Act. Right. So that is the benefit. So that is one other way you can do it. The third option is you can try to enforce it as a conciliation agreement. Uh, uh, sorry, as a settlement agreement from a conciliation. So there are a couple of problems in this. The first problem is that, of course, the courts have held uh, arbitration and conciliation to be two different processes. I don't actually agree with this uh, outcome, but uh, that is how the courts have looked at it. So there is a decision by the Delhi High Court. It's called uh, Ravi Agarwal versus Anil Jagrota, I believe. Please uh, let me know if there are far more uh, decisions like this. I have so far come across one. So the view that is being taken by the court is that um, arbitration, uh, sorry, mediation and conciliation are two different things. And so the outcome from one process cannot be imposed on the other. Right. This is not structurally correct because uh, if you have what we called 
uh, evaluative mediation that is where the mediator can uh, offer a settlement then uh, the process is actually not that different right in fact there is no difference that i see in the operative part of the process but uh, that as a matter of law that is the view that has been taken so this is problem number 1 problem number 2 is even if you treat if you can treat this as a conciliation uh, as a settlement agreement arising from a conciliation uh, then of course it becomes enforceable under section 30 of your arbitration act but uh, an arbitration award in section 30 can still be challenged i mean this is something this you have this problem even if you go via the argument route that it remains uh, subject to challenge under article 34 Uh, or section article 34 of the model law or section 34 and section 48 of the arbitration and conciliation act right so all the grounds of challenge remains open furthermore even if i take out all these problems there is a bit of ambiguity in the arbitration and conciliation act the arbitration and conciliation act uh, in section 30 it says it's going to be enforced as an arbitration award right but an arbitration award under the arbitration and the conciliation act is of two kinds there is the domestic award for india seated arbitration and then there is the foreign award for an arbitration not seated in india right the idea of a seat does not as such make too much of a sense in a mediation right so um, and even mediation or conciliation even if it does right even if it did uh, so section 30 does not clarify if this award is to be treated as a foreign award or a domestic award so for example if you have a mediation uh, based in england both the parties uh, were in england it was uh, by an english neutral whatever so uh, and you are trying to enforce is at a conciliation um, settlement agreement here which in turn is seen as an arbitration award so what kind of award is it is it a foreign award or a domestic award because a foreign award and domestic award are going to be challenged differently right and there are also questions of stamp duty then uh, you also have the problem of reciprocity because you see under the arbitration and conciliation act you would enforce only those foreign awards that are new york convention awards and that arise from countries which also reciprocally uh, enforce indian awards and there's a list of that in section 44 right which is notified by the central government right so uh, though you can treat a conciliation settlement agreement as an arbitration award it is not an award under the new york convention so what is the status so you are running across considerable legal ambiguities in this direction right and uh, as i said there are also uh, logistical issues for example uh, domestic awards are are chargeable to stamp duty foreign awards are not and um, depending upon what you are charging uh, you would have issues uh, with that as well right so right now i would say the best option is to go uh, the first option i said that you come uh, if both the parties are on the same page file a consent decree and uh, in the end let me tell you something tahira that the question of enforceability is really a secondary question why because in a mediation it is not something which has been imposed upon you right you have signed a settlement agreement because you think that is how your interests are protected right 
so as i would see it most of settlement agreements are likely to be quite self enforcing i mean both the parties would agree so you can have it enforced you don't actually need uh, external enforceability of it right but there would be still would be small number of cases when one of the parties might behave opportunistically and try to resile from it in those cases these legal ambiguities would come okay in that context professor what do you think will be the overall effect of the convention on the indian landscape see as i said that uh, the convention if uh, it attains its full potential it will have significant multiplier effects in terms of you know uh, increasing ease of business ease of doing business uh, facilitating international transaction reducing your cost uh, reducing your litigation risk and a lot of positives for industry right but the convention itself does uh, the convention itself is not self executing india it would actually depend on how the government of india is enforcing it what kind of enabling legislation what kind of regulations we have and uh, how we do it basically our arbitration our experience with arbitration and conciliation act has not been a very uh, in a very encouraging one because in spite of having very well established templates we have fumbled on it for a very long time and we have still not managed to stabilize that we keep amending it we amended in 15 18 19 further amendments are uh, sorry uh, in 20 also further amendments are being considered right so if we do not apply our mind and do not give effect to it properly then it would not give us the benefit that it could okay thank you so much professor for your valuable insights if you could please share with us your concluding remarks on the convention see as i said tahira the convention itself is a promising document because adjudication itself has high transaction cost okay and even arbitration uh, it's expensive it destroys commercial relationships and uh, to that extent mediation is definitely an improvement it would facilitate international trade and commerce tremendously right now of course uh, this uh, convention itself has uh, its inherent limitations it for example does not it, it does not apply to your uh, i mean it, it would not apply to india's completely internal mediations it applies only when the parties have the place of uh, i mean it's an international one secondly it pertains only to commercial disputes right so certain kinds of disputes are outside its purview court annexed mediation is also outside its purview so uh, though the convention itself uh, and i would also see convention as a part of package so what is happening worldwide is that you are having an increasing fusion of the legal systems of the world so uh, the first pillar of that was of course the new york convention then you have the unilateral model law on arbitration then you have the hague choice of court agreement that allows you to enforce uh, a choice of court agreement and the decision of an agreement of the court chosen by the parties and then you have the singapore mediation convention right so together as a package deal they are facilitating and they are kind of 
creating a harmonization of international dispute resolution processes. Okay, so they would have uh, enormous effect and um, the way I read the convention is it's, it's kind of a cousin of the New York Convention because many of the characteristics of how it operates is similar to the New York Convention. It almost has the same number of clauses also. 12 year New York Convention 8 kind of. Okay. And um, overall, it is going to have a very positive effect. But as I said, that uh, what exactly is the effect would depend on how government of India makes the enabling legislation. Thank you so much, Professor, for your insights and for being a part of our mediation series. I think one thing that I will definitely take away from this is how you describe the need for mediation in the commercial world as you're not only trying to prove a point, instead, you're trying to protect your interest. Interestingly, another takeaway is that the convention cannot be seen as a one-stop shop. This means that one has to necessarily understand not only the international regulations, but also the domestic framework in order to really grasp the consequences and realize a way forward, which in essence is the study of conflict of laws or private international law. Next episode, we will be assessing this very aspect in detail in considering whether the convention is a one-stop shop. Thank you and catch you on the next episode of Vidhi.